Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Morning, Crosspoint. It is so good to be here with you today. My name is Delaney, and I'm the children's pastor here. And this is the first time that I have been able to preach to a room with people in it since COVID began. So I'm pretty excited. See, normally I would just tell Micah that he had to laugh extra loud at all of my jokes, but it just, thanks, Micah. It wasn't the same. Be sure that you head to thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes to get the notes for today's message, as well as your home group study guide. Now, if you have joined us at Crosspoint over the last few months, you would know that right now we are working our way through the book of Romans. But as you could tell from the scripture that Gabrielle just read, we're going to take a detour today and jump all the way back to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, which is everyone's favorite, right? See, it actually is one of my favorites, but before we get into it, I want to start off by asking you to try and recall your earliest memory. What is the first moment in your life that you can actually remember? Now, I know some of you may have a few more years worth of memories than others, so maybe that makes it a little bit harder. Um, I happen to have a picture of my earliest memory, or what I believe to be my earliest memory. Uh, This was right around my second or third birthday, and that's my grandpa assisting me as I figure out how to use a bouncy ball. Now, I remember this moment specifically, because I was kind of scared of my grandpa. But I really wanted to bounce on the ball. So I set aside my fears and allowed grandpa to help me out. Now that picture is kind of like the basic, low-budget version of the memory orbs in the movie Inside Out. In the Disney Pixar film, they imagine that our memories are all little spherical orbs that get stored inside our brain. And if you pick up one of those memory orbs, it gives you a high-definition video replay of the memory. Now, new memory orbs are obviously created every day, but our brain doesn't have enough space to hold every single one of them. So there are these creatures called forgetters who go through and select memory orbs to toss into the memory dump. And once they're in the dump, you'll never be able to retrieve the memory again. Now, if you're married, after today's message, you and your spouse can take some time to discuss who has more forgetters working at clearing out space in their brain. I'm sure that will be a really fruitful conversation for you. Before we get into looking at Deuteronomy today, I realize that some of us may have had our Old Testament Testament memory orbs tossed, and 
we no longer remember what happened before Deuteronomy. So let me try and give you a brief history of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. So we'll rewind all the way back to Exodus 1 when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. The Egyptian pharaoh wasn't a fan of how big and strong the nation was becoming, so he appointed brutal slave drivers over them and worked the people of Israel without mercy. But God saw their oppression and heard their cries of distress and told Moses that he would rescue the Israelites from the power of the Egyptians, leading them out of Egypt and into their own land. Through Moses, God brought a whole bunch of plagues down on Egypt. There were frogs and boils and darkness and all kinds of disasters until finally, after the plague that killed every firstborn son, Pharaoh told the people of Israel to get out. So they left. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and chased after the Israelites, who were now stuck between the Egyptian army, and the Red Sea. But then God parted the waters and led them through the sea on dry ground. When they reached the other side, the water rushed back into its usual place, sweeping all the Egyptians into the sea. And so God rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. But then the Israelites got whiny. They complained and they moaned because they were hungry. So God said, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. And he did. The next morning, Israel woke up to a flaky substance on the ground that they called manna. God gave everyone exactly enough. And so he fed his people. But as soon as the Israelites were full, they complained again. Because now, they were thirsty. So God told Moses to strike a rock with his staff, and water gushed out. And so God gave his people water. Next, the Israelites arrived at Sinai, where God gave them the Ten Commandments. And they agreed to do everything the Lord commanded. Until Moses went to get more instructions, and they got tired of waiting, so they built a golden calf and worshipped it, breaking the first two commandments. God was furious. He didn't destroy the entire nation, but he definitely thought about it. Next, God outlined the rest of the law. There are a whole lot of instructions about eating, sacrifices, festivals, relationships, diseases, clan duties, and more. All because Israel was to live set apart from other nations. They were God's holy chosen people. Now, there was more rebellion and disobedience along the way, but eventually they made it to the land that God had set apart for them to possess. Twelve spies were sent to explore the land, and although the land was prosperous and bountiful, the Israelites feared the people who lived there. They refused to enter the promised land, accusing God of bringing them there only to die in battle. 
God's anger, once again, burned against his chosen people, and he punished them for their sins. The Israelites were left to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, until every man, 20 years or older, dropped dead in the wilderness. Because of their disobedience, they would not enter the promised land. So they wandered for 40 years, there was some more rebellion, they won a few battles and were defeated in others. Moses lost his ticket into the promised land because of his own disobedience. And now the 40 years are up and we have finally made it to Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is interesting because we've actually already heard a lot of what's in there. The name itself means second law. And it's not a different law because God felt like the first one wasn't quite good enough. Instead, it's Moses restating the law that God gave in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He had to restate it because first, he's giving it to a new generation. During those 40 years in the wilderness, the old and rebellious generation of Israelites died off. Everyone left would have been younger than 20 when God first gave the law. So they would have pretty limited memories of their life before wandering in the wilderness. Next, Israel was being faced with a new challenge. They had grown used to being wandering nomads for 40 years, but they were about to become a settled nation, which was going to bring its own temptations and challenges. Now, finally, Israel was getting a new leader. After leading people through the wilderness for all these years, Moses was about to die, and Joshua would take over the leadership of the nation. So in Deuteronomy, Moses is preparing the people to enter the promised land without him. By taking a stroll down memory lane, he's recounting what they've been through to prepare them for where they're going. And that brings us to Deuteronomy 8. And there is so much going on in this chapter that I probably could have preached like 12 different sermons based on this text, but we usually stick to one on a Sunday morning. So let me just focus on two key ideas that I think Moses is sharing with the Israelites. Number one, remember God in the wilderness. And number two, remember God in the promised land. I want you to take a moment now and turn both of those ideas into nice little memory orbs and put them in a safe space inside your brain. Remember God in the wilderness and remember God in the promised land. All right, now that we all have those orbs, it's time for a little bit of audience participation. Uh, so since we are all gathered in different spaces, I'm going to ask you to bring your phone out. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question, uh, and then you can send in your response uh, to the number here, 587-415-1555. All right, so that's the number there on the screen. 
I want you to send me a text with a word or sentence that describes what the wilderness would have been like for Israel. What kind of things did they experience? What challenges did they face? What emotions do you think they felt? Now, you can talk about it with the people around you. Then take some time to send in the word or sentence describing Israel's wilderness. Uh, the first one I got here is hangry, which I like. Uh, fear, longing for a place, boredom, isolation, adventure. Oh, that's interesting. Sadness. Sore feet. Uh, oh, these are really good, you guys. Probably the worst time for introverts. Um, lots of people for a long period of time. Shivers. Hot and dirty, dry, tearful, animals they didn't know about, bleak and desolate, wild and exhausting. They were probably angry, maybe crying, thirsty, no public washrooms. Uh, lockdown. Wow, these are really, really good, you guys. Sandstorms, ugh. Really good answers, you guys. When I asked myself this question, I came up with a whole page full of answers, and none of them were particularly pleasant. Honestly, I think the wilderness sounds really boring. Could you imagine spending 40 years doing nothing but walking eating, and sleeping. And for that older, rebellious generation, they had nothing to look forward to. They literally had to walk until they were dead. And so not only were they walking without a purpose, but they probably felt pretty lonely and abandoned. Could God really be good if he's left us to wander in the wilderness? Is he actually with us right now? Is he still faithful? See, the wilderness itself was uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable. There were a lot of challenges they had to face, a lot of danger they needed to overcome, which probably led to a lot of big emotions. When have you felt the same way? Abandoned, purposeless, confused, angry, exhausted, hungry. When have you questioned God's goodness and faithfulness? When has life been desolate and uncomfortable, full of conflict and suffering? When have you found yourself wandering in the wilderness? Now, this one feels a little obvious, but has anyone else felt like this last year has been a wilderness? Just me? Not only are we navigating the complexities of COVID as a disease, but we're dealing with the mental and emotional repercussions. We're experiencing increasing levels of violence, conflict, and turmoil, and we're seeing a colossal number of deteriorating relationships. 
how would you respond if God told you that we were in this for another 40 years? But COVID isn't our only wilderness. See, every one of us, no matter how old you are, goes through seasons where it feels like we're lost and wandering, be it physically, mentally, or spiritually. And if you're like me, you've probably found yourself asking the question, why? Why do I have to be walking through the wilderness? Why hasn't God brought me out of it? Why has he forgotten me here? And I think those questions are valid, and God isn't upset when we're struggling with them. But let's take a look at what Moses had to say in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. He says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. See, the whole reason the 40 years of wandering happened in the first place was because of Israel's sin and disobedience, when they refused to go and conquer the land that God had told them to. So the wilderness was a consequence, but God's purpose in disciplining Israel in this way wasn't to punish them. He wanted to train them and grow them, to prepare them for what was coming next. Moses says that the wilderness was meant to humble the Israelites because, spoiler alert, pride is one of the greatest temptations they're going to face in the promised land. Now, this is a little bit of a side note, but I want to quickly mention that being in a humble place doesn't automatically make you humble. If I'm just putting up with the wilderness until God finally brings me to the promised land that I think he owes me, I haven't grown or learned anything. When God humbles me in the wilderness, my heart has to change so that I'm content even in that humble place. Now, in that second verse, Moses also said that God used the wilderness to test the Israelites in order to know what was in their hearts. I think we can probably assume that God already knew what was in their hearts, but the wilderness allowed the Israelites to see it for themselves. So let's all agree that it is no fun to find yourself stuck in the wilderness, but there is a purpose in it. God uses it to grow you, to humble you, to test you, and to prepare you for what's next. But honestly, that doesn't always make it easier. So how do you actually manage to survive the wilderness? And I think the answer lies in that memory orb I told you to store away at the beginning. Remember God in the wilderness. Remember is a key theme that we see pop up again and again throughout Deuteronomy. So I have a challenge for all of the kids who are joining us today. 
All right, so there are some of you here in the worship center, some of you in Simpson Hall and at home. What I want you to do is bring out your Bibles and flip to the book of Deuteronomy. It's not a sword drill because, you know, not everyone is here right now. But I want you to flip to the book of Deuteronomy and read through chapters 7, 8, and 9. So read through 7, 8, and 9 and then count how many times you see the words remember and forget. All right, so Deuteronomy chapters 7, 8, and 9, the words remember and forget. How many times do you see those words in there? And if you can tell me the answer today, either in person or get your parents to send me a message, uh, I have a bit of a surprise that I'm going to send to you in the mail. Okay, so Deuteronomy 7, 8, 9. Remember and forget. How many times do those words appear in there? So, as you're doing that, let's now jump back to this idea of remembering God in the wilderness. And there are three really practical ways we can do that. First, remember God's power. Israel's Exodus story begins with their slavery in Egypt. They were oppressed and helpless, and if they had been responsible for their own escape and liberation, they probably would have just kept on being slaves. They didn't have the power to get out. But then God showed up in a burning bush, which is a pretty cool power move, if you ask me. And he told Moses that he had seen the misery of his people in Egypt. He was concerned about their suffering, and he was going to come down to rescue them from the Egyptians. It was only because of God's power that the Israelites would be delivered out of Egypt. God's power brought 10 different plagues on the Egyptians. God's power kept the Israelites from experiencing any of the plagues. God's power split the Red Sea. God's power delivered Israel out of hundreds of years of slavery and oppression. I'm not going to challenge the kids to do this one, but if you read through all of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will come across the phrase, the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt at least 20 times. You know, sometimes the phrase doesn't even seem relevant to what's being talked about, but the Israelites had an impressive number of forgetters inside their brains, and they needed to be reminded again and again and again of God's power and his miracles that rescued them again and again and again. When have you seen God's power in your own life or the life of someone close to you? Sometimes I have a tendency to forget God's power because I've never actually seen him split a sea in half or turn a giant body of water into blood. But God's power remains the same, and he continues to perform miracles today. Last September, 
my aunt, who, despite being young and healthy, experienced a brain bleed called a subarachnoid hemorrhage. No one can explain why it happened, because she didn't have an aneurysm or a vein malformation that could have caused it. And they also can't explain how she's still alive. In the 45 years that her doctor had been practicing medicine, he had never before seen someone survive this type of brain bleed. Most people die on their way to the hospital or within the first 24 hours. And the lucky few who do survive are either left in a wheelchair or confined to a bed for the rest of their lives, relearning how to perform basic human functions. But other than some headaches, which disappeared after 10 days, there was absolutely nothing which would indicate that this brain bleed ever happened. Remember God's power in the wilderness. Moses also tells us to remember God's provision. The Israelites couldn't have escaped Egypt without God's power, and they wouldn't have survived the wilderness without his provision. Almost immediately on their journey, they got hungry because they forgot to pack snacks. If you have kids, how many times a day do they tell you that they're hungry? 84. 84. We have an answer over here. How often do they ask what you're making for dinner? Now take all of that complaining and multiply it by an entire nation because that's what God was dealing with. Now, there were definitely a couple of times where God came close to just smiting the whole nation because of the complaining. And honestly, I wouldn't have blamed him if he did. But instead, he chose to feed them. In verses 3 and 4, it says that he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. As God provided for his people, he was teaching them to live in total dependence on him. It's that same posture of humility where they had to recognize that they could not feed themselves or provide for their own needs. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, they had to rely on God to provide everything. And he did. So how have you seen God's provision in your own life? And if you ever need a, a good story of God's provision, I would recommend that you go and talk to college students. See, I knew countless students who received an unexpected check in the mail right before tuition was due. Or they were sent home with Thanksgiving leftovers after living off of noodles for weeks. Or they were given random extensions for assignments that they had no time to finish. 
When you are a college student with no money and no time, dependence on God is the only choice you have, which is actually a pretty good choice because he provides for you 100% of the time. Now, finally, while you are in the wilderness, remember God's promises. For the Israelites, this meant remembering the promise that God had first given to Abraham, a promise that had existed for hundreds of years. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham three things. The promise of a seed or offspring, the promise of land, and the promise of a blessing on all the nations. All three of these promises are fulfilled at different times, in different ways, but what's most relevant to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8 is the promise of land. Verses 7 through 9 say that the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. The land of Canaan that Israel was entering into was their promised inheritance. What do you think the 40 years in the wilderness would have been like for the old generation who were promised death compared to the new generation who were promised life in the promised land. A guaranteed promise brings hope in the midst of the wilderness. And God gives us a lot of promises throughout the rest of Scripture. You know, I haven't counted them all myself yet, but after a quick Google search, I did come across a guy who says that he found 3,000 of them. Now, I can neither confirm nor deny that that number is accurate, but I will say that God has made an abundance of promises, and he will follow through on every single one of them. Perhaps the most significant of these promises is our own promised inheritance. The Israelites inherited the land of Canaan, but the New Testament tells us that believers will inherit the age to come, the kingdom of God, and eternal life. In 1 Peter 1, we read that in his great mercy, he, God, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. We have been promised an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And unlike the generation of Israelites who died in the wilderness, never getting to experience the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham, 
Ephesians 1.14 tells us that believers today get to experience the beginning of the promise through the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So, when you are in the wilderness, remember God's power, his provision, and his promises. But there was a second memory orb that I told you to tuck away in your brain. Now, if that orb is still there, it should tell you to remember God in the promised land. So, I'm going to get you to pull out your phones again and using that same number, 587-415-1554, send in a word or phrase to tell me what the promised land would have been like for the Israelites. What did they experience there? How did God bless them? What emotions might they have felt? Whoever is trying to call me, I'm not answering. Um, Comfortable, nice, cushy pillow life. That sounds luxurious. Peaceful, abundance, blessed beyond measure, sunburnt, maybe. Uh, Happy and joyful, content, freedom. I... Relaxing, happy, loving, abundance of never-ending food. Isn't that the dream? Wow. When I think about the promised land, the two words that come to mind for me are abundance and prosperity, or wealth. Let's look at verse 12, which implies that their success in the promised land is guaranteed. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, this sounds like a pretty significant upgrade after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It was probably like the day when I purchased a pair of real Birkenstocks after years of buying the $20 Walmart knockoffs. Abundance, wealth, and luxury. Now, the fact that God brought them into this land of abundance and wealth implies that God is not against material things. Sometimes I find myself believing that the less I own and the harder my life is, the more spiritual I am. You know, maybe God would love me more if I was still wearing Walmart sandals. Now, obviously, being in need can draw you closer to God. And spending time in the wilderness often leads to spiritual growth. But we also need to recognize that experiencing abundance is not a bad thing. The promised land is what God wanted for his people. And maybe you're experiencing that right now. 
Maybe God has led you into a type of promised land, whether you are experiencing success financially or in your career, or you have some really healthy relationships with friends and family members, or maybe you are achieving big personal, go personal goals that you set for yourself. If you are in that land flowing with milk and honey, be glad about it. Rejoice in it. Use your wealth to bless others. Share the benefits of the promised land with the people around you. But our memory orb is also telling us to remember God in the promised land. And there are two practical ways that we can do that. First, remember to praise God. It says it right there in verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The Hebrew word for praise here is barak, which translates to kneel or bless. It means that you are blessing God. You're praising him as an act of adoration. You are giving him the recognition that he deserves, calling attention to his glory rather than your own. When you're in the promised land, you have to remember to praise God to prevent your own pride. See, after getting to know the Israelites for a few decades, Moses knew that this was something they would probably struggle with. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Even though they were leaving the wilderness, they still had to remember God's power, provision, and promises, and then praise him for it. Because the epitome of forgetfulness for Israel would be remembering their victories, but forgetting God's role in them. One of my favorite verses in all of Deuteronomy is chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, where Moses is once again reminding Israel not to forget the Lord their God. He says that God is bringing them into a land with large and flourishing cities that they did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that they did not provide, wells that they did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that they did not plant. He is telling them to forget their pride and remember to praise the Lord your God. Hopefully, the connection for you today is clear. Is there any area in your life where you have failed to praise the Lord your God? Are there any achievements that you're tempted to attribute to the strength of your own hands, boasting in yourself 
instead of boasting in the Lord? Remember today to praise God. By singing songs or making a list of the things that you're thankful for or telling someone about what God has done in your life. Vocalize your praise so that others can hear it, giving glory to God rather than yourself. And now the final remember that I have for you today. Remember to pursue God. Now, obviously, we don't find the word pursue anywhere in this text, but all of the other words started with the letter P, so this one also had to start with the letter P. Uh, so what I mean by pursue is to follow God and obey his commands. Moses says it three times in this chapter. Be careful to follow every command. Observe the commands of the Lord your God. And be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees. He repeats it again and again and again because if the Israelites actually do it, then God will continue to bless them and they will live in abundance and prosperity. But if they fail to follow the Lord, they're given a new promise. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And if you have spent any amount of time reading through the Old Testament, you would know that God followed through on that promise many times. When the Israelites did not remember God or pursue him, failing to follow his commands, they suffered because of it. Now, I do think it's important to mention here that I am not preaching the prosperity gospel, and I am not preaching works-based salvation. See, following all of God's commands will not guarantee an easy or successful life. And failing to follow all of God's commands will not cause him to take away your salvation. But if you have truly surrendered everything to Christ, if you have made him the Lord of your life, then you will desire to pursue him, to be obedient to the commands that he has given. So take some time today to consider are there other gods that you've started to follow? Are there any idols in your life that you've begun to worship or bow down to? Ask yourself if you are pursuing God or the things of this world. And regardless of if you feel like you are in the wilderness or the promised land, the commands that God has given you remain the same. So, we should now all have two fully developed memory orbs. Remember God in the wilderness by remembering his power, his provision, and his promises. And remember God in the promised land by remembering to praise him and pursue him. But there is one final element 
from inside out that I want us to consider. See, we all have thousands and thousands of memory orbs, but only a very small number of these orbs form our core memories. In the movie, these core memories represent key moments which define the main character's current personality. So, for example, the memory of the first time that she scored a goal playing hockey is what powers the hockey-loving part of her personality. Now, I don't want us to look at this too literally or try to analyze the relationship between faith and memories and personality, but I do think it's important for you to consider which memory orbs are most influencing who you are today. If I were to hit play on your core memories, would any of them show God's power or provision? Would any of them reveal the strength of his hand in your life? Are any of them leading you to praise or pursue him? See, those core memories reveal what's most important to you, and they will ultimately determine who you are. So are you someone who remembers God, or have you given the forgetters a little too much freedom clearing out those memories? Maybe today you need to spend some time in your brain's command center, rearranging your memory orbs. Whether you are in a wilderness season or a promised land season, Moses would say that you need to remember the Lord your God. So let's close by remembering God in prayer together today. So wherever you are right now, in the worship center, in Simpson Hall, or at home, let's take a moment to close our eyes and ask God what are you saying to me today? How do you want me to respond? What in my life do I need to stop doing or change or start doing? God, I thank you that you have never forgotten me. When I am in the wilderness and when I am in the promised land, I am your child who you love so dearly. 
Lord, forgive me for the times when I have forgotten you, when I have forgotten who you are and what you've done in my life. Father, forgive me for my pride when I celebrate my own accomplishments and fail to acknowledge that you are the one who blesses me and brings success. God, I thank you for the way that you're speaking to each of us today, for the message that you have. Lord, I pray that we would leave today a changed people. Would you transform our hearts so that we are different than when we were when we joined the gathering today? God, I praise you for who you are. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.